My name is Joseph Jenkins, owner of Sustain Coffee Company, a business that used to teach people about coffee in interactive and highly discussional methods. But moreover, I am a coffee drinker, maker, and educator, and I really enjoy people. This podcast was inspired by the many discussion starters that happened during monthly Coffee 101 classes. My desire is to answer those questions in a more extensive manner, so sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Episode 12, Cafe Culture, featuring Chris Fuse. Today I'm joined by my good friend, Chris Fuse. Before moving to Denver, Colorado, where he presently resides, Chris was a barista at City and State and also managed the City and State Germantown pop-up shop. Always shared good coffee conversations, both on and off shifts, so having him on the show was a natural choice. Some things we share in common are a love for oat milk, making pour-overs in extremely small dosages, and a good, tasty espresso. So what's going on, Chris? You know, not so much. Just just ready, honestly, ready to drink some coffee after this podcast. <laughs> like, I know I probably could have snagged some before, but um, I definitely should have grabbed some beforehand. But I definitely will after. I, I love everything you said, but, you know, nothing's been going on. Just, just trying to keep up with what's going on in the coffee world, honestly. I know for most people... You know, they kind of hop on it as it comes out, but I'm always trying to stay ahead. So I've been kind of geeking out about some coffee stuff lately, to be honest. Sweet. I'm, we're going to have some good conversations then, it sounds like. So at the beginning of every episode, I ask, what you drinking? Um, it's something that I just do to get into what's happening on my kitchen counter at home. So what are you drinking these days? So really these days at the house, I've been diving pretty deep into Onyx's extensive lineup. Um, just really kind of diving deep and seeing what they have, whether it be this Ethiopian that I've been drinking, um, which is super solid from them. Um, I even enjoy their Monarch um, on pour over um, through V60. And then I was coming off of the Las Lajas from Costa Rica that they had a couple, like a month ago, I believe, or a month and a half ago. So I've been drinking a ton of Onyx lately. Okay. Um, honest, you know, shout out to, you know, South. Shout out, even being out west, shout out to the south on that, for sure. Um, but then also, I just hit up a local shop here in town, uh, Middle State, and they always keep some fire espresso on that they're always interested to tell the entire story of the coffee. So, really, that's been it for me, just kind of brewing up some onyx at home, and then whenever I'm stepping out, doing espresso from Middle State. For me right now, I, I mean, I always have multiple coffees. Zan from Boycott, I'm having a coffee that he roasted. It's a natural Colombian, and he's been serving it on espresso. It's been super juicy. Say that on V60, it's been equally juicy. I've been using this 2016 World Barista Champion Tetsu Kayusa, his winning recipe. And through V60, it's 20 grams in, 300 out, so like 1 to 15. His recipe calls for three pours, and it utilizes osmotic pressure, coarser grind for like a maximum balance in the cup. It's also known as the 4-6 method on V60, where you pour 40% of your water weight at the beginning, and then 60% as one pour at the end. 
which is kind of where that osmotic pressure comes from. And if you look at other barista champions who have won, use a similar osmotic pressure. Basically, osmotic pressure is utilizing the amount of coffee and water in a sense that it's constantly moving. So say if the easiest way to think about it is you pour your bloom and you wait until the grounds are dry before you resume pouring. And you do that every time you pour. So after your bloom, you pour your water and you wait for the grounds to be dry then you pour again. Um, and that maximizes that osmotic pressure and helps it to not channel for every cup that you make. So that's what I've been doing both for this coffee, this Colombian, and for the other coffees I've been drinking. No, that's beautiful. I've actually um, played around with the 4-6 method a little bit. Um, definitely enjoy it on particular coffees. It seems to work well across a very broad spectrum of coffees, mm -hmm. but kind of those coffees that I you know, some of those high acidity coffees can sometimes get out of balance really quickly and very easily. Um, so I like, I tried a Kenyan, I can't remember you know, the exact farm and such in Kenya, but I tried it through the four six method and it showed out like it, it really came through, but was still very balanced. I love looking at, and it's partially because of my borderline obsession with like Japanese cafe culture. Um, but their, their baristas always do really simple things. And the, the things they have on their menus at their cafes are always really simple. But I think they do that because it works with multiple coffees um, that gets a very consistent, simple enough to where you can enjoy the brewing process as a barista, um, but fast enough that the, the guest that's waiting on their coffee also could enjoy it too, which is kind of a just testament to Japanese culture, I suppose. But yeah. Just figure it out. Just have it figured out across so many avenues as far as, you know, how to do coffee, what coffees to make, like you just mentioned, like what methods to use, you know, everything is consistent, right? That's the yeah. big thing in coffee is like, yeah, whatever you do, do it consistently, you know, For don't, sure. you know, if you, if you, whatever type of cafe you are and whatever type of menu you have, just, if that's you, just make sure you do it consistently. You know, and then that way everything in your shop flows a lot better and people kind of know what to expect from you as far as whether it be quality or whether it be how you extract your, your coffees or whatever the case may be. But definitely just being able to keep it simple and keep it consistent. I mean, that's just a testament to greatness in like every area of, uh, of life, but especially coffee. Yeah. You know, if you keep it kind of simple but consistent. Um, so, yeah, the other the other few questions that I have for you. Chris, are things that I ask um, all my guests just to kind of gauge where you are coffee-wise, just general stuff that I think sets up where you are in your coffee journey. Start with just the simple one, which is what would you say that your favorite region or just your go-to region of coffee, like, you know, you're looking at this roaster you've never had before, perhaps, and you see that they have all these different regions. What's, like, one that you tend to, you tend to gravitate towards? Well... To be like super specific with things, I would say um, anything I'm getting from out of from Costa Rica, especially the Las Lajas. Like if I see that somewhere on the shelf in the shop, like that's one thing that I'm just gonna automatically gravitate to, and I'm definitely gonna jump on board um, with that particular coffee. Kind of maybe a little bit more broad is like definitely anything from Costa Rica is um, something that I'm always keeping my eye on. Because uh, Costa Rica's down with the crazy process, and you know they're on board to try 
you know, a new process that hadn't really been tried before and tried over a, a big spectrum of coffee. So anything out of Costa Rica is, you know, what I'm diving deep into. Going to be super intrigued. You know, I'm going to be bag reading, so to, so to say here, and just like getting as much information as I can from from the bag if it's not necessarily a farm nor an area that I'm that I'm particularly, you know, um, sure of or ever really heard of. I'm definitely diving in deeper, but I'm knowing that anything from out of that Costa Rica area for me, um, it's just something that I'm going to be going for because it's such a, I like to call it like a three-headed monster because it's going to be great on espresso. It's going to be great, you know, as a pour over and you could even do it as like a good batch for a coffee shop. Like if I see that on the batch menu, then, you know, I know that it's going to be, you know, very well balanced, you know, perfectly upfront but also kind of give you a little bit of intrigue regardless of how you use it. So it kind of just is something that's so memorable for me is my childhood of like Kool-Aid drinking like crazy flavored type drinks from like the local grocer and stuff like that. So it's a very good childhood memory for me whenever I'm drinking Costa Rican coffee. So that's always somewhere I'm going to look for. And if I see it, it's a no brainer for me. Okay, and that's that's Costa Rican is an interesting choice. You're the first person actually I've asked this question who's given me Costa Rican, so um, that's fun. I do like Costa Ricans, but I would say that I certainly, if I see them on the shelf, it's not what I'm gravitating towards. Um, because I think also with Costa Ricans, I feel very similarly now to Costa Ricans as I used to about Colombians, where I didn't really care for them because I had a lot of bad experiences with them. So I've had a lot of bad Costa Rican coffees. And, you know, who knows where that falls on. Maybe they just, I didn't like how it was processed or maybe it was roasted improperly. I've had a lot of bad experience with it, so I tend to kind of avoid it. I will say this natural Costa Rica from Proud Mary a few weeks ago, it was the first coffee that I had from Proud Mary that made me realize, oh, this is why people like Proud Mary so much. Um, and it was, it just tasted like a cinnamon roll. Like it smelled like a cinnamon roll and like butterscotch as well as it cooled. Um, and it was it was wild. I can certainly see the value. I could see how the the processing really could make a difference for those Costa Rican coffees, and I saw that in that one specifically. So, you you mentioned something that um, I was going to use as a separate question, but actually is is re very related to this. You mentioned that growing up, going to the local grocer, perhaps that Costa Rican coffee, the flavors that are in that region, tend to be something that you gravitate towards to because of childhood. So something that Bartholomew mentioned on the episode that he was featured on um, a few months ago at this point was emotional tasting. Um, this is something that I've always had in the back of my mind, but he really brought it to the forefront of my mind. You know, you think of, of holidays and family events and just growing up and like in that adolescence and maybe even pre-adolescence phase of life where you're really, really young and you're, you're molding what you like, what you're into, your interests. I would say that there's a lot of times this line between those experiences and your taste and your like your your taste buds specifically for me i always say that i really like tea like and florality in coffee and that's because growing up my mom drank a lot of tea and i had a lot of experience with drinking tea from a really young age and so i developed this this liking for those kind of flavors and i tend to do that whenever so now when i look for coffee i'm like yeah i want it to be balanced but i really want it to be floral and and bright 
could you like expand a bit on that childhood emotional connection that you have with your own coffee taste? Yeah, so I'll, I'll break it down one one step a little bit, um, not not deeper, but just to kind of give people a little bit of an insight to life. I'm not sure if Bart touched on it at all. So for me, I grew up I grew up um, in the in the hood in the projects. So my senses were always super heightened. Like I always had to be hyper aware of where I was. Hyper, you know, everything for me, my senses were always heightened. So which is kind of a reason why. To me, emotional tasting is so important because it came from a heightened sense of awareness that I had to have in my environment as far as a survival mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a that's a part that I don't know if a lot of people, you know, think about or, you know, kind of sometimes people growing up in certain areas, they have to have heightened awareness of stuff, which kind of play, plays into like everyday life. So for me, that, that's kind of how I can, I, everything for me connects back to my childhood because of the hyper awareness of it. So my senses are very adapted to that sensitivity from that time. So I'll kind of preface with that and then I'll flow into this next part. Um, so the whole idea of emotional tasting for me, and that's linked through just kind of how, how I grew up eating, right? Just mm-hmm. kind of the things that I did, the things that I were into the most. Um, you know, for me, I would walk around my neighborhood. So naturally for me, hot days, walking around the neighborhood, you know, as a young child, I'm going to pick up these sweet, sugary um, type drinks to kind of give me, you know, that satisfaction of the sugar, but also satisfy those taste buds um, as well. So that's kind of why the Costa Rican coffee, um, the Ethiopian coffee, um, even sometimes along the realms of like the Colombian coffees, um, these things just remind me of my day as a child. They remind me of, you know, what I maybe had for breakfast and then maybe what I drank in the evening. And then maybe I went out and picked plums for like an hour later on in the evening. And then maybe for dinner, you know, I had a, a, a sweet tea, right? So you think about those tea like properties of coffee, yeah. right? I think being Southern that one can easily translate over for a lot of us because we've drank so much tea, even though it has so much sugar and whatever in it, but we still are very used our mouth has an emotional connection to tea-like properties being Southern, which is why I think I spoke to a lot of Southern people and they love tea-like properties of coffee. And I think it comes from drinking a lot of sweet tea or even just iced yep. tea growing up in the South. Um, so it's just, th- th- I would say, look at it from that process, right? That coffee always needs to remind me of some part of my childhood summers, you know? So that I think that's the emotional connection that I'm going for because I remember feeling kind of so void of any responsibilities, so free. And I think of coffee in that same way whenever I'm going to a shop or brewing at the house, I'm completely free of everything, right? Any responsibilities that I have, you know, anything that's going on while I'm brewing is obsolete. And even the same way when I'm at a coffee shop enjoying, a, you know, a nice cup or a nice espresso or even a nice pastry. I'm void of any responsibilities, kind of void of self, and I'm really just enjoying the moment. So that kind of parallels to my childhood of feeling so free during the summertime that I'm always looking for something in the things that I consume to kind of tie me back to that point in time. Yeah, that, that's, that's a wonderful example. I think it's, it's funny the people that I talk to who grew up in the South have a very similar tasting experience growing up. For me, it was always we had a 
a Walgreens that was walking distance from my house for like running around in the neighborhood, we would always go and buy Arizona teas. I can definitely relate to that, like that sweetness that's in a sugary Arizona tea. I'm not talking mm. green tea. I'm talking like the peach teas, the watermelon ones, <laughs> um, the grape ones, <laughs> like probably 90 grams of sugar if you drink the whole thing, which of course I drank the whole thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Those things are, are definitely very in, embedded in my own tasting what well, tea overrides those for me a lot because that was what was in my home but i i certainly can understand that running through the neighborhood with your friends drinking sugary stuff to keep you going was certainly oh, yeah. a thing so where specifically in the south did you grow up at so i grew up in amory mississippi which is like 20 minutes southeast of Tupelo. okay so a small town um you know very little economic avenues and revenues and all that good stuff coming through that area so it's a small town like it's a train pass through kind of spot turns out a lot of great people and a lot of great you know anyone who does anything from there is typically a really good person it's just a very small not a lot of opportunity town <laughs> we've kind of getting an idea of who chris is and where our relationship lies i reached out to chris and asked if he had any concepts that he would like to cover on the show and he gave me a handful. And the topic that's been coming up a lot is honor and how do we honor coffee farmers? How do we introduce that into our cafes and into our own coffee journeys? So the, the specific topic, though, is cafe culture, per Chris's recommendation. How are shops truly highlighting and uplifting coffee farmers through their endeavors? So we're just going to kind of let this conversation be wide open. What are your initial thoughts on this? Any shops that you have in mind because i think for cafes that are also roasters they have an easier mm -hmm. ability to introduce an element of farmer relationships because they're roasting their product but for like a cafe who's maybe a multi-roaster um, they don't always have that direct tie to a farmer so it may seem a little bit more distant of a concept or an idea to introduce the farmer just in their in their cafe setting. So what what do you think steps that are necessary? What do you think are the, the intentionality behind it? Where where should we point our eyes in in this conversation? My big thing is in this whole kind of grand scheme of, you know, our coffee's truly uplifting and highlighting the farmers through their endeavors. Um, if you look at it, the moment that you really want to do something, you think about as a cafe owner or as a cafe coffee director or as a cafe, you know, a green bean buyer for a roaster or, you know, whatever you may be, head roaster, roasting assistant, whomever. The minute that the whole chain of a company has decided that that's what they want to do, it will instant, it will happen. You know, there's I think there's kind of been this idea in coffee that it's going to take time, like. Um, time, you always hear time. Everyone uses time. And in the industry, you'd say, oh, it's going to take time. Mm -hmm. And someone will say, okay. Then you go to another industry and you be like, it's, it's going to take time to get there. And you look across the internet, it's going to take time to get there. We, it's like we're losing our battle to time, right? We always are in the future tense, never in the present moment. And, you know, I want to I wanna do a quick segue in. Because, Joe, you just got, you know, you know, became a husband, right? So the minute, and I'm going to make this about love because it's, you know, you think about humans and we all have to love each other. The moment that you knew 
that she was going to be your wife, it instantly happened for you. Even though you, you didn't, the wedding hadn't happened, there was no ring, the moment you knew it was going to happen, that's what you foresaw, that's what the Lord blessed you with. You knew from that moment that it was going to happen, even though it may not have happened. There was no, well, you know, I'll develop myself into a husband later. It was like, no, this is this is instantly who I yeah. am. I just have to live it every day. And that's kind of what we need to do with the coffee industry. It's kind of recognize what we really want to do and then set that in action as if it has already happened. Like, you know, if we want if we want to pay more for this coffee, well, let, let's let's see what it would look like to pay more for this coffee because conceptualizing price changes and over times and years and you know, that can get tricky in itself, you know. So the key is what are we doing right now? Um what do we want to do right now? Because we know the power of believing in something and wanting to work towards something, you instantly see change because you instantly become that change that you want to be. So then everything kind of flourishes around that, even though it may not always be perfect and beautiful. So from that standpoint, I would say it's going to take a lot of effort, a lot of initial belief um, in this concept. And then a, a true asking of, are we actually doing this versus Let's talk about it. Let's conceptualize it. Let's look at it from four years from now and let's kind of see what maybe we can do if this, you know. So it just kind of needs a reshifting and a rebalance of focus, if that's to answer your question at all. Yeah, I think I think using using the concept of love is one that's I think very effective. That like we learn from one another, right? Like other men who are great husbands to to maybe influence me or to direct me in like this kind of new territory of life that I'm in, right? I look I like to see how they're treating their wives and how they're having such a healthy relationship. And I and I sit down with them, I talk to them and it's a very like communicative thing that I have to be conscious about. Um, because otherwise, just like in this coffee conversation, if if you're not having those conversations, you become complacent and you become um stale and then the relationships kind of they kind of they kind of simmer down into a place that it's like, well, this is this is just how we do things. This is how we're going to do things. And then eventually yep. we stop asking questions of like, okay, how can I better this relationship? How can I serve this relationship better? How can I make this relationship better for not just me, but for the other person? Personally, I've never really thought about that in that way. So that's that's great that you brought that up. So I think learning from one another is certainly a big thing that, that us as cafes can do. Because, I mean, even even the smaller things like, a new drink on a menu like let's say coffee soda right you know somebody does coffee mm-hmm. soda a shop across across town is doing coffee soda you know i don't think there's any harm in asking them hey how are you guys doing that how is it going how do i do that because it's like okay this is going to become a new staple drink on a lot of cafe menus so you have to yeah. learn from one another and like how do you guys carbonate your coffee i i don't we don't know how to do this we've never used a, um, anything that's carbonated just in the little things we ask for for that guidance from our fellow people in the industry so why would we not ask for something that's much larger in this sense maybe a lot more important oh that that makes total sense and you know because because there's joe you know and everyone who's listening to this podcast or ever will probably knows there are a couple coffee shops and maybe the u.s included that everyone clearly sees doing it the right way. And it just seems like everyone just kind of like turns their eye to what they're doing instead of like trying to implement it themselves. Like, you know, I'm going to give a shout out to oddly correct right here. 
for, you know, their progress as far as wages and benefits go for employees. Every single coffee shop in the world thought it, but they're like the only ones that I've seen that have done it, you know, and maybe other people are doing it. They haven't, I just haven't seen it, but it's like everyone saw how great and amazing that was. And it's like, everyone was like, cool. Yeah. We're not going to try that at all. We're going to kind of keep it kind of the same way that we have been doing stuff, but that's great that we see somebody taking charge. So we also need to stop being blind to what we are clearly seeing at the mm. same time, you know, it, like, I mean, it's, it's obvious. I mean, anyone who's in specialty coffee has seen what they're doing as far as like trying to better their employees, their shops, their communities, you know, everything. So it's like, okay, you see somebody with the blueprint now, like you just mentioned about seeking out these relationships. You all actually have to go out there and want to seek out these relationships and actually want to be a quote unquote good husband. You know what I'm right. saying? Ask yourself if that's really what you want to be because it's not going to be, it's like you mentioned, it's a new thing. It's not going to always be exactly what you think. You're learning from somebody else. So you have to be void of ego to try to better yourself, your people, the people you buy from, and the people who consume your product. Um, so whenever I see that, you know, people talk, come out about, like, this shop has been doing this with wages, and I'm like, has no, has anyone just been not looking at what Ali Correct does? Like, if just, what are, what are y'all doing? Like, what's what is the industry? How'd you let something so beautiful pop up and everyone just kind of saw it and then no one else acted on it? It was like, well, you know what? I stand with them on that. We're going to do this. And, you know, I know some people probably have, but I just haven't seen right. it. But you would think it would have been the new standard. So I think about it. That is the same as with the coffee. Like, you see Proud Mary paying $25 a pound for the uh, with San Bernardino, I think. from They did last year. I'm not sure what they paid this year. But it's like, you all saw that. Like, it can be done. Like, don't turn your eye to it. You know, if it, when you see it happening, you know, recognize and appreciate the greatness and emulate that greatness. So it's, I kind of think it falls in that category, too, of, like, how much are people willing to break their everyday routine? Yep. Well, you know, that's just not kind of how we operate. Yeah. You know, that's a that's a played-out thing to say. You know, you better, add, you better talk to Sears. <laughs> about to go out you know that's not how we operate or get you out of business real quick and have you left behind the curve if it's always for the advancement of people and ideas and projects like that's clearly the best option yeah i agree and i think a lot of the things too like you're saying they're they're not going to come naturally you know because we like i say just with like the 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 marriage kind of um concept there is that um there's going to be there's going to be this this kind of complacency that you sit in. It's a lot harder to do those right things or do those things that maybe are better because you know that it's going to take you breaking routine. It's going to take you um, stepping outside of what's comfortable for right now. Like, oh, well, maybe my profit margins would be smaller for myself because I'm paying my employees more. Or maybe my, um, my sales will not be as great because not as many people want to buy this bag of coffee that's all of a sudden double the price it used to be. Or, or you know, that's this just examples. So I think to be willing to be a bit sacrificial in those areas in order to better serve people, like you're saying. Yeah, because you think about, like, okay, what is a standard latte? Standard latte right now in most places is 450 Okay, like if, if, if that's the if that's the you know, not saying every shop has to set a standard, but like, you know, eventually like the standard just becomes a standard and people just pay it. Like 
that's what happens with everything. Like everything goes up and like, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And people just, you know, like literally nothing costs the same as it, you know, did a couple of years ago. And it just kind of seems like coffee's kind of floating around that same thing. So people are suffering like, you know, people spend, exu- you know, you think about the bartender and the barista kind of being, you know, related. And it's like, you know, I've seen people pay double, triple what a cup of good coffee should be. Um, you know, like, but people are paying for the experience too, right? That's why people yep. go out and they drink and they spend, then they're willing to spend more on the drinks when they literally could just go buy a whole bottle, say. So they're just paying for the experience too. So sometimes I think coffee shops get wrapped up in will they pay this price versus how do I up my experience to match this price? True. Yeah. Like, what do I do with the tens? What do I do with the you know, when I serve it in the cafe, like, how is this experience going to match? Because that requires you to step your game up, right? If you have to elevate your experience, you're like, man, how do I step up my game to where I look like I should be selling a $35, 100-gram bag, tin of coffee? And it's like, hmm, now that's on you. <laughs> it's like, yeah, what are you going to do to elevate that? What are you going to do to educate people on that? What's going to be the special behind? Because all those things are going to require you to step away from your typical Friday morning versus a Friday morning when you're launching a $35, 100-gram 10, right? Right. That means you're going to have to step up something. So, you know, it's so easy to go in, dial in espresso and do this, and that's what you're used to doing versus, you know, maybe doing something different, Yeah. you know, every day or whatever the case may be. So a lot of this, what we're talking about, is just going to require – an effort absolutely on the part of the cafes you know even the roasters or green bean whoever the case may be it's going to require something out of the norm absolutely. for everyone involved yeah that's good i mean um, i think just to sum up it's it's that honor requires effort um and it, it takes it takes a self-conscious mind and a um, a diligent mind even to achieve any of these things for sure but I think that's all of the the conversation that I have for you today. Do you have any other further thoughts before I wrap up for the for the day? No, I just want to leave that I'm always super appreciative of the work of the farmers. Um, I'm, you know, we're gonna we're gonna say that all you know, a good amount of farmers are gonna listen to this podcast because it's gonna be one of the biggest coffee podcasts <laughs> across the entire world. So since it's gonna be that large, and it really already is that large, we just that's literally the only separation. So I want to tell all the farmers out there, you know, I appreciate your work. Thank you for doing amazing work to us Americans on the other side. Um, we couldn't do the work, you know, in these coffee, in, in now the coffee farms and stuff like that. So thank you. For sure. Thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 12. Um, if you would like to be featured on the show, you can. Um, when you visit anchor.fm forward slash 901 cart. Um, you can submit a voice message, corrections, questions, and discussion starters. Simply email 901-SustainCoffee at gmail.com. Please don't hesitate to let your thoughts be heard. Until next time.